God's good. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, God. Thank you. Lord, praise reports are nothing but lifting up your goodness, God. It's praise unto you, Father. You alone are worthy. You're the one that heard these prayers. You're the one that has answered these prayers. You're the one that has saved souls, God. Souls just like ours, God. That's as great a miracle as any that somebody like me could be saved, God. That we all sit here redeemed with our sins, washed away, and that we can pray for others and pray for family members and you would reach across landlines into other places, God, and, and send somebody to minister that souls would be saved, God. And the reminders that you're still healing cancer and you're, you're still taking care of knees and shoulders and all the things of surgery, God. And Lord, we lift up Sam to you. We need you again, yet an, inter, an intercessory prayer, God, that we come in and ask, would you touch Sam, give guidance to the doctors and all this there. I pray, God, you'd be with him and Miss Kathy tonight. Give them grace, God, that they can get a night's sleep, that they not be up. I know there has to be some anxious moments of waiting, Father. But when your hand reaches down, God, it gives that peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray that for that family tonight, God. I pray, Father, you'd be with us right here in this place. I pray you'd teach us something from your word, God. I thank you for it. Lord, we pray most of all, would you be pleased with everything that we do. We love you, God. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. So last week, if you want to turn in your Bible, chapter 20, the book of Acts, we'll continue our study. Going to try to maybe finish up this chapter tonight. We left off last week, verse 24, but none of these things move me. It says, neither count I my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. We looked at the fact that Paul did indeed finish his race with joy. He did finish his time with joy, just like it's talking about here. But it wasn't right here. Paul lives another 10 years before Nero brings it to an end. And during that time, we know that he suffered the shipwrecks and all the things that was there. He suffered rejections. He suffered beatings. He suffered pain and suffering. He suffered a lot of things. But yet Paul said, I count all things gain." All the things that I've been through. So what Paul said, in spite of all that, it's a gain. I have finished my life with joy. We looked at 2 Timothy last week, 4-7, where Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth has laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And then the really exciting part was that he passes it on to each and every one of us, not just to me. Paul said, this ain't a personal thing. God's no respect to a person. He's not going to do for me what he won't do for you to all them also that love his appearing. So verse number 25 tonight, Luke goes on. He says, and now behold, I know that, you, uh, know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. And we've looked at that some. The Holy Spirit has obviously given Paul some wisdom, some direction. He's going to be going to Rome and other places. And he knows he's not going to be passing by the way of Ephesus again. And he's called the church leaders from the church at Ephesus here. And he's talking to them. He says, I'm not, I'm not going to see you guys anymore. Um, I've gone preaching the kingdom of God. So see my face no more. Verse 26, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I want to take just a minute and look at that because there's something in there for us that shows the importance of knowing the word of God. Right now, matter of fact, congratulations for everybody that's finished January. We're, we're one month into it, and today kicked off February. You've read the second longest book of the Bible and well into Exodus and uh, probably three-fourths of the way through with Matthew right now. And, and 
So, so we're putting some things in, and I, I, wanna sh I want you to see something right here. And I realize this is a Wednesday night crowd. I, I would venture to say very few of you in here are reading the Bible through for the first time, but some of you are. Somebody may be, I, I won't say congratulations, I really do, it's awesome. Some of you are doing it for the 50th time. Some of you are adding it to studies and you have great studies. But, but there's a reason why you put it in, because the Apostle Paul right here, he doesn't, he doesn't say this as though it's a quote. He, he doesn't say as, hey, the prophet said. He doesn't bring anything in here here. But here's what we know. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse number 1, says, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him up for their watchman, if he, when he seeth the sword cometh upon the land, he blow the trumpet and he warn the people. Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. Verse number 5 of Ezekiel 33 says, He heard the sound of the trumpet, he took not the warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. Then he says, But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people are not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he's taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at thy mouth and warn them from me. We know that the apostle Paul knows the law and the prophets. We know that he is a trained Jewish rabbi. The law is what we call the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible written by the hand of Moses. That is their law. They called it the law. He would have had to have learned that in the school of rabbi. He would have had to learn the prophets. They had to quote Isaiah. He would know what we call the, uh, the five major prophets and the 12 minor prophets. And not by reason of importance, but by length of books. He would know all of the prophets. They had the law and the prophets. He knows all of those things. Even though he doesn't mention it. Even though he doesn't say, I've done according to the prophet Ezekiel. Even though he doesn't say, I've done what the word commanded. You got to know, based on what he says, that he knows that. He knows that if he doesn't hold the whole counsel of God, then that flock of sheep is on him. And, and he knows that what he says in a nutshell is, I have fulfilled the words of the prophet Ezekiel. I have given you the whole counsel of God. I have not withheld anything from you. I have sounded the alarm. And for that reason, I am pure from the blood of all men. Do you see why it's important to know the scriptures? Because if the scriptures are in there and you know them, you're more prone to live them. If you're in there and you know the word of God, and it's inside Dale and I talked about it for a while today. I'd work on the bus and I couldn't get it running. So in my frustrations, I'd come up here and talk with Dale for about an hour and go back and work on the bus a little more. And Dale and I talked about right now we're at a reading time. And it's an awesome time, everybody to read. But we're going to get to a time when we go past reading. You have to go past reading the word of God and study the word of God. Reading the Word of God is putting the Word of God in. Studying the Word of God is learning the Word of God so that you can apply it to your life. There is a difference. But you can't begin to study it and learn it and apply it until you've, until you've at least read it and learned it and, and put it in there. You see the importance here. The Apostle Paul knows this. So he says he, in verse number 28, he kind of just passing the baton on to the elders of the church here. He says, take heed 
therefore. That, that means be on your guard, be attentive, be on the lookout unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. There is all honesty. If you did a word study, if you want to do a word study on a verse that you won't finish in a day, take that one right there. Just take Acts 2028 and do a word study and try to cover everything that is in that right there. And you'll find out that's a mouthful. There, there's a whole lot said in that one little thing. So we're not going to try to cover all of it. But, but what he says there is he says, pay attention to your surroundings. Pay, pay, pay attention to your actions. Pay attention to, to whatever situation arises both for yourself and for the members of the flock. For, for those within the church. Because, he, here's what he says. Preaching is not a chosen profession. Evangelism is not a, or being an evangelist is not a chosen profession. Being a pastor is not a chosen profession. Paul, Paul said it is the Holy Spirit that has made you overseers. Therefore, you are to feed the flock. There's only one way to feed the flock of God, and that's with the Word of God. He's not talking about grass of just any field. He's talking about from, from God's pasture. So, so he, he says, it is the Holy Spirit who has made you overseers to, to feed the flock. And here's how important that flock is. Here's how serious you better take this. Here's how well you better know to take care of God's sheep, God's flock. He loves them so much that he shed his own blood for them. And, and, and Paul says, I've been here and I've taught. I'm giving you charge because the Holy Spirit has put you. You better take care of his sheep. And, and, and he tells them exactly that, you know, he, he thinks an awful lot of them. Verse number, see, verse number 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. Not sparing the flock. That word for grievous comes from a word that it means burdensome. He says, I know that there's some burden going to come. I know there's some grievous wolves. There's going to be some people creep in and try to create confusion. There's going to be people to, to creep in and try to sow discord amongst the brethren. In Matthew chapter 23, we ought to get to that along about Friday in our reading. But verse number 3, Jesus is teaching the multitudes and his disciples. He's got them all there. He uses the Pharisees for an example right here in chapter 23 and verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens grievous to be borne. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. See, Paul knows that the Pharisees are already doing these things. It's a Jewish tradition there for the Pharisees to burden men down with their own laws. Now, here's where the similarity comes in. The Jewish synagogue in that day had already done the same thing that a lot of churches are doing in this day. And that is close the doors to the Lord. I'm not going to get back on time again. I'm not talking about shutting them out at 12 o'clock. Because every time I do that, I run out of time and we have to go, right? Today, hitting a lot different. There, there are so many customs, traditions, man-made laws, legalistic values. Have I got there anywhere yet? Does anybody know what I'm talking about yet? There are so many man-made laws brought to the pulpit of God's podium that they're shutting the door on God's book. 
There, there's a, a lot of places that preach a lot of stuff that you can't prove in the book. There, there, there's a lot of damage being done to the body of Christ because the traditions of men being pushed as though they're the laws of God. That's exactly what the Pharisees are doing. The Pharisees are holding their laws above even God's laws right here. Even after Jesus Christ comes, they're still holding everything up about circumcision. So the Pharisees are putting everything even above God's law. The church today is full of legalistic stuff flooding the pulpit that, that in all honesty, is just driving a lot of people away. And it has nothing to do. You want to tell somebody the truth? Tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. You want somebody? I, I, I was just talking to somebody. Um, that was last week. Just trying to get them to come to church. Um, Y'all know I can't hardly see with these things on, but I can't see that without them on. I wanted to make sure I wasn't finished saying them, and she actually took me up on it and showed up. She, she had lost her son um, in a motorcycle accident five years ago. She's been in LaGrange for over a year, and to be honest, she needs a church. And, and she kind of, she, she knows that. But invite her to church and, and talk about we have church on Wednesday. We have Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. If you can come on Wednesday. If you don't like crowds, you want to come on Sunday morning. She said, well, if I came on Wednesday, I'd have to come like this. And she had on scrubs. So? She said, I could come with this. I said, be honest, you might be one of the best dressed ones in the house. I said, you wear them in the summertime. I'm pretty positive you'd be one of the best dressed ones in the house. I said, look, I tell you straight up. I showed her the website, all the stuff. I said, what you going to see is an independent Baptist church. If you anything about independent Baptist churches, you're going to start attaching a lot of things. Well, it's not true. If, if you think that you can't preach on the podium of Faith Baptist Church unless you got on a white shirt, all you got to do is watch any video. My wife don't hardly put white shirts on me. That has nothing to do with preaching the gospel. If you think you can't have drums to get charged, just, just watch the music. Just, just watch what's there. But the truth is, there, there is that in a lot of people's mind. When you invite them to church, well, I can't come because I'm not going to be dressed right. I, I'm, if I come from work, I might have to get there five minutes. Y'all know what I'm talking about? There's so much legalistic stuff put in. that We've got people scared to walk in the door that need help. She lost her son five years ago. She's still struggling with it. She needs help. She, she needs a family. She needs a church family. She's only been in this town for a year. She doesn't really know anybody. She doesn't have anybody to hold on to. She's in the medical field, so all she has is a job. She needs some help, and God put it there for a reason. And, and yet... I sense in the conversation there's a reluctancy to try to visit a lot of churches because you don't know if you're going to be accepted. That's pathetic. It's pathetic to think there's a church out there that anybody would feel unwelcome at. But that's just reality. But that, that's what he's warning them against. He's warning them against things and talking about um, making up laws and, and tradition. Paul says, you're the overseers of the church. Beware of those that will bring in false teachings. Well, if it's not out of that book, it's false. If it's not 100% in line, in context, from in the beginning to amen, then it's false. And he says, be, be, be careful. You keep the main thing, the main thing. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse number 30 says, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He, he said some of the most dangerous attacks are going to come from within the church. 
some of the most dangerous attacks will come from leaders within the church. See, the, the truth is, as a young church here in the text, the church has already begun to fall away. The church is very young right here. We're, what, 65 years into the birth of the church? Very young, right? Based on our age, it's an extremely young church. It's just the beginning of it. Remember what we saw in chapter 15? We, we read right where certain men came down from Judea, taught the brethren, and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Right? We saw it. We've already seen that five chapters ago. At the beginning, actually six if you start from beginning to end, but... Five full chapters ago, it was already in the church. People come and say, hey, if you can't be circumcised according to the, back to the Abrahamic covenant, then you can't be saved. That's a lie. But it's being taught in a New Testament church when, therefore, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, disputation with them. They determined Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Do y'all remember that? It ain't been that long back we, we studied that, right? There was a, there was a fight over that. Uh, an in-the-church-house fight. There, there was a big argument over that about what's right and what's wrong. So much so that they had to go back to Peter and to the elders there at Jerusalem. And it created this, this big dissension within the church. So here, here's what we know. Anytime that we set out to do anything for the glory of God, attacks will come. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I heard a few amens. We talk about it often. You, you can sit on the pew and hold that pew down to keep the lack of gravity from floating it off. And, and you can keep it there as long as you need to. And the devil ain't going to bother you. The, the, de the devil's not worried about you. The devil's not worried about you coming to church. If all you do is get up and come to church and mind your little business and then go to work and you don't tell nobody about Christ and you don't do anything for the glory of God and you don't read your Bible, you decide you want to volunteer. You decide you want to be in his life. You decide you want to make daily Bible reading a part of your life. You decide that daily prayer is of, of extreme importance to you. And you start praying every day as soon as you get up. And every night before you go to bed. And praying during your lunch hour. You start wanting to make some changes in some things. And you can expect the devil to come. The, the enemy's going to show up. That's not anything new. That's been happening since the birthday of the church. On the day that the church was born. That is the day that the Holy Spirit came. Jesus told him, he said, look, I'm going to go and the Father's going to send you back another comforter. I, I'm going to go away. I'm going to pray unto the Father. And the Father is going to send you a, another person of the Godhead. And, and he's going to send that back. And you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is that day. That, that is the day when, when the disciples are there and 150 or so at the upper room and they're speaking in tongues. And man, I mean, the Holy Spirit is falling. They're shouting. And here's what the text says. On the birthday of the church, dwelling at Jerusalem, devout men out of every nation under heaven. When this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. This is Acts chapter 2. We started our study back this over a year ago. and came together. They were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. It says, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How we hear each man our own language wherein we were born. 
and Parthians and Medes, Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia and Egypt and all parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our languages the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt saying one another, what meaneth this? This is an incredible day. This is an incredible time. This is the birthday of the New Testament church. This is the 50th day after the seven weeks of seven, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. And I mean, this great thing is going on. It is the fulfillment where Jesus said, I will pray to the Father. He shall give you another comfort that he may, he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come. This is that day. This is the day when the Spirit came. And in the very next verse, others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. See, the devil didn't waste no time getting started. This is the first day of the church in Jerusalem with, with, with the disciples there that walked with Jesus Christ himself, that have seen the power of God with their own eyes. They watched him nailed up on that cross. They saw him shed his blood. They've talked to him since he walked out of that empty tomb. They've eaten with him on the side of the shore there where he fixed up some fish. They, they've seen him do more miracles. They watched as ye men of Galilee, while standing gazed into the heavens, that this same Jesus is coming back. They've been through all that, and here they are present. And right out of the gate, the devil comes up and starts some junk. Well, they're just drunk. Them, them, them men are just drunk. The devil ain't stopped. He didn't stop for them, and he's not going to stop for us. He's not, he's not going to stop for you reading the Bible. He's not going to stop for the things you decided to do for the glory of God in your life. He's not going to stop for you being and he's alive. He's not going to stop coming after the church for doing he's alive. He's not going to stop coming after churches and other towns and everything. The devil's not going to stop. That as long as the Lord allows him to. He's always going to be in it. Paul warns the elders of the church. He says, beware. Be, be watchful. I mean, th this is roughly 30-something years after, after this fact. We, we have John writes from, from the Isle of Patmos. He writes Revelation. This is around 30 years Maybe a little more than 30 years after Luke writes that Paul is telling the elders of the church at Ephesus, you guys be careful. Beware. There's going to be some false teachers. There's going to be some stuff come in. And here's what it says. Revelation chapter 1, revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. He sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record, record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are at Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. Hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus in this letter, he, he speaks specifically to seven churches. One of them is Ephesus. 
who Paul is talking to right now. But all of these churches are established around in this time, around the time of Paul's third missionary journey. And, and here we are just over 30 years later. So we got some brand new churches, right? So if Paul was at Ephesus two and a half years and the church formed for there, this church is about 35 years old. And, and what we see is, is that Jesus already condemns. He says that you have the doctrine of Balaam. He says you have the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He says you have the seductions of that woman Jezebel. You have the, the wealth uh, and, and the, the desire of worldliness like the lukewarm Laodiceans. The church is 35 years old. Well, the church is right at 100 years old at this point. But, but Jesus says... This stuff is already crept in. We see the discord of Satan already in. If Satan was doing that right off the bat, what makes anybody think he's not going to try to destroy the church today? What, what makes anybody think he's not going to try to come after you today? Now, here's your solution. Pray for the hedge of protection of God's hand around you, and there ain't nothing the devil can do to you. Call out the name of Jesus often, and the demons can't stay around you. You want to do something good, sing something that's got the name of Jesus in it, talk about Jesus, say the name Jesus, because the more you put Jesus out, the less the demons has got to get out of your neighborhood. Remember what we talked about turning on a light and darkness has got to flee? You don't want demons riding around your car. You sing about Jesus a lot. You talk to Jesus a lot. You call out the name of Jesus a lot. You, you pray Jesus over your family. You pray Jesus over your problems. You pray Jesus over your job. You keep Jesus included because the devils can't stand that. But, but if, if, they, if, they, if, if the demons and, and all of the things of hell didn't mind attacking the church on day one at Pentecost, and, and you've already got all these things in at 100 years old, here we are more than 2,000 years later. You think we ain't full of some dirt? You think the devil ain't got some trash? Stir it up in the church. Verse number 31. Therefore watch. And remember by the space of three years. I cease not to warn everyone. I got a little bit of time. We're going to look at another verse. I cease not, not, not to warn everyone. Night and day with tears. Paul, Paul says. I, I've given it all I have. Now it's up to you. I, I'm, not, I'm not coming this way anymore. I, I want you to know. I, I poured Everything into it. Now, brethren, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. There is nothing better he could have done than what he did. I commend you to God. There is nothing better that we can do with anything in our lives than to commend it to God. Your marriage, do the best you can. Work on it the best you can. Give it all you got. But above all, commend it to God. Your children, train a child up in the way that he should go. Trusting what the Bible says that when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Give them everything you got. Bind it about their hands. Frontless between their eyes. Teach them the word of God. Do everything that you can. But above all, you give it to God. You commend them to God. There's a day coming when they're going to leave your house and you can't go with them, but the Holy Spirit can. There, there, there's times when they go off to school, you can't go with them, you can't protect them, you can't be there, but the Holy Spirit can. Your, your job, the people that you work with, the, the people that make fun of you, the, the people that laugh at you for going to church, the people that, that call you holy rollers, people that make fun, commend them to God. 
Give them to God. Pray for them. You want somebody to not bother you in your life? You know how somebody will not bother you in your life? Pray for them. Tell lies about you? You don't want to be bothered by it? Pray for them. Stir up trouble, try to stir up things, try to put stuff in, try to create garbage, try to go out and talk. If you want somebody to not bother you in your life, pray for them. I'm just telling you it works. You don't believe it? Pick out the one person right now that you're thinking about that you can't stand and start praying for them. Uh-huh. A lot of people just had somebody come to mind. You have your assignment. Before you go to bed tonight, you pray and ask God to bless them. When you get up in the morning before your feet hit the floor, you pray and ask God to bless them. That there is nothing better that you can do with anything than commend it to God. But especially to your family, your home, to, to the church, to the people that you care about. And, and that's what Paul does. He says that he, he commended them to God. He said, look, I, I've taught you the best that I can. I have lived my life as an example. Paul could say that. I wish I could say that. Paul said that I have lived my life an example as the best as I can. And I have trained you leaders to, to do the, the best that you can. And then he says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Man, covet's a big deal. Covet's a big deal. How many commandments are there? Ten. Levitical law, 613, right? But only 10 are called the commandments. Thou shalt not covet made the top 10. Must be a pretty big deal, right? Paul, Paul says, I, I've not coveted man's silver. I've not covered, coveted man. Apparently, we, we talked about the past two weeks about how Paul has just written this epistle to the church at Rome. Apparently, covet's a pretty big deal to Paul. because in, in his epistle to Rome, chapter 7, verse 7, it's what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Chapter 13, he added some more. He said in verse 8, oh, no man, anything but to love one another. Man, y'all write down Romans 13, 8. Go home and read these three verses. It's just, it's just awesome food for us. Oh, no man, anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. What, what Paul points out to the leaders is the importance of, of not coveting. Not coveting anything silver, not coveting anything gold, not cover, coveting anything that people have that, that is worldly and, and worth stuff. I'm, I want to read a passage to you here from Dr. John Phillips, and then we're, we're out of time, so I'm going to have to go. But in this passage, Dr. Phillips says, Every traveling preacher finds himself at times moving among those who are, yeah, moving among those who are wealthy. He stays in their homes. He eats at their tables. Some of them have more than their hearts could desire, while the preacher's living from hand to mouth, driving an old car, wondering where the money's going to come from to pay his bills and support his family. He says the temptation is to covet. Later, in another paragraph, he says, talking about the preacher, he sees wealth squandered on mere things. Talking about the preacher staying with those that are well off. He sees them uh, squandered on pleasures and worthless projects. He must never covet. Not even for the cause of Christ. He must look beyond the wealth of the wealthy to the wealth of a wealthy God. 
who has promised to supply all of his needs according to his riches and glory. Paul says, I have coveted no man's stuff. And then he says, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and them that are with me. Paul, Paul says, I, I, I've worked with my own hands. Uh, I've worked for, Paul's pretty adamant about that. When he wrote his letter to the church at Corinth, he, he said, I've not been a burden to anybody. In the second letter that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he said, I've not been a burden to anybody. I, I've worked to earn my way. So that's a pretty big deal to Paul. But here in this one, he says, not only have I worked to, to, to earn my own way, but I've shared with those that were with me. So that none of us have been a burden to you. So, so Paul's, Paul's setting an example. He's giving them some things. I, I really wanted to finish up this chapter. And we're almost through. But we're, we're going to at least take a look at those last couple of verses. Lord willing next week. Just kind of conclusion. Because there's, there's something in it that I, for me I, I, I see as a, a thing for us. As they look forward as Paul sets sail on the ship and looking away. But Lord willing we'll, we'll finish it up next week. God thank you so much. God, thank you for that book. Thank you for what you taught us through the handwriting of Luke, through the life of the Apostle Paul, through the words of the testimony. Thank you for what you're teaching us, God. Help us to live that. Help us, God, to not covet things of this earth, but to look past that of wealthy people into a wealthy God that can meet all of our needs, Lord, above and beyond all that which we can even begin to imagine, Father. I pray, God, you'd help us, Lord, to walk out of this door and be pleasing to you. I pray you'd help us do exactly what that says. Love our neighbor as ourself. Love all people, God. I pray, Father, that love would rule in our hearts and our lives and that love would rise above everything else, Father. Help us to pray for our enemy that spitefully uses and persecutes us. all manner of evil against us, God. I pray, Father, you'd help us. Lord, it truly is the key, Father, the way that you can bless us is when we pray for others. We love you, God. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.